May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. On this week's episode, we will wrap up sleep and then we will look back in time with a podcast series that will be coming out next week. Looking at what fibromyalgia was like 100 years ago. Getting to hear the story of a famous author who suffered with fibromyalgia but never was able to get proper treatment and hear her sad story but also hear about her successes as well. Welcome to the Conquering Your Fibromyalgia podcast. I am your host, Dr. Michael Lenz, a pediatrician and internal medicine physician, also a lifestyle medicine physician. I've been a doctor for nearly 26 years. I am here to help people who are struggling with fibromyalgia, also help those who have loved ones in their lives who are struggling with fibromyalgia, and physicians who want to learn more about this frustrating but also very rewarding problem to help take care of. Now, remember, I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. So remember that this podcast is for informational purposes only, and all signs and symptoms should be discussed with your individual physician. This week's episode on sleep, I just wanted to wrap up some key points about sleep, starting with remembering good sleep hygiene, talking about much of sleep can be voluntary restriction of sleep time. There are many different factors that play a role with this. A lot of this is the electronics in our life. We can have TV, computer, internet, etc. to artificially keep us awake. We talked about having a time to wind down before we go to bed. The average amount of sleep we talked about being closer to about seven to eight hours of sleep. When we look at the other struggles that can be connected with fibromyalgia and insomnia, one of them is untreated ADHD. As we heard on prior episodes with Dr. Dobson, Treatment of ADHD may paradoxically improve sleep in many people because they're able to turn off all of the noise, are able to calm down and feel relaxed and be able to settle in to good sleep. We also learned that restless leg syndrome occurs more often in those who have fibromyalgia and that's something that you want to be mindful of because treatment of that can be very helpful. And just being able to assess your sleep. How much sleep 
do you actually get? How consistent is your sleep schedule? As much as we talked about trying to limit electronics, there are activity monitors and cell phone applications that can be used to help track how your sleep is going. For many of us, we may actually have sleep that's fragmented, maybe taking a couple-hour nap, especially if you're retired where you don't have to go to work and nap during the day and then sleep less at night. So trying to consolidate the sleep is important. Then you can see how much your sleep varies from day to day and with your schedule. So track your sleep. You also can track and see how much you're moving during your sleep. A lot of these applications measure movement, and I've had patients who thought they were actually getting eight hours of sleep, and they woke up unrested, but when they looked at their activity monitor, according to that, the activity monitor said they never sleep because they were moving so much while they were sleeping. So that's important to track as well. Here are some Red flags are warning signs that you should consider. The first is if you have consistently less than seven hours of sleep, if you have one or more hours of weekday to weekend difference, what that means is if during the week you get up at four in the morning and then on the weekend you sleep in till seven o'clock, that is of concern. Allowing for one hour difference is okay, but can some people who don't have fibromyalgia get away with it? Sure. But if you have fibromyalgia, keeping that schedule as consistent as you can is one of the important pieces of helping get better. Some of this may be out of your control. You may have a work schedule that is a very late second or third shift and going back and forth, but as best you can, if you're living a first shift working life, try to be keeping that consistency. Also, the irregular sleep timing uh, and the duration. So if you're getting five hours one night and 10 hours another night, try to round that off and be consistent. And also, if you're getting more than nine hours of sleep, that could mean you have sleep apnea, it could mean you have depression, it could mean you have restless leg or periodic limb movement disorder where you're not getting into that refreshing sleep. Frequency of daytime fatigue, so how much fatigue do you have during your day if you're having more daytime uh, fatigue and sleepiness or difficulty waking up, that's something you want to be aware of and consider that there may be sleeping issues that are playing a role. Falling asleep more than eight hours before ideal wake-up time. So if you fall asleep watching TV, maybe at 7 o'clock at night, and then you wake up and then go to bed again at 10 o'clock, that would be something to be mindful of. If you have prolonged wakefulness after initial sleep onset, so you fall asleep and then shortly after you sleep, you're awake and you're awake for long periods of time. This could be... Related to anxiety, it could be related to underlying ADHD. It could be related to restless leg and periodic limb movement disorder. It could be related to sleep apnea. So those are things to keep awake aware of. If you're awaking less than seven to eight hours after 
bedtime. So that's something to be mindful of. You also have to take a look at your attitude towards sleep and sleep barriers. And extremes of these attitudes include being, on one end, cavalier about your sleep, saying, I don't have time for sleep. I have too many other important things to do. Or being highly distressed by any sleep disturbance, often with behavioral insomnia, where there isn't any organic sleep disorder, there may be just pure anxiety about not getting sleep because you know how important it is. Then we talked about assessment for sleep apnea. That's the stop bang assessment. If you have loud snoring, you feel tired, often fatigued or sleepy during the day, observed patient uh, apnea episodes, pressure, that, blood pressure that's elevated. So those are important things to keep mindful of. And then here's some sleep hygiene assessment. Daytime naps of more than 30 minutes. So if you have to catch up on that occasion, taking a nap, try to keep it closer to 10 to 20 minutes. If you have poor daytime hydration, if you have variations in sleep onset and offset, prolonged non-sleep periods in bed. So you don't want to spend time in bed doing anything but eating and sleeping. Stimulating activities before bedtime. You don't want to play the video games before you go to bed. You don't want to read some thrilling novel fiction that keeps you awake. You want to do things that are calming. Try not to go to bed stressed, angry, or upset. Reading, watching TV, or eating in bed. Being uncomfortable, having an uncomfortable bed or bedroom. So having the proper Heating or cooling is important. Thinking, planning, or worrying in bed is also something that you want to try to avoid. As Dr. Meyer said, having a journal there to help write down any thoughts or worries, that would be very helpful as well. And then trying to limit any caffeine consumption to as little as possible and preferably not past early afternoon. And then not having alcohol within three hours of bedtime. Alcohol can cause paradoxical insomnia where there may be the initial ability to fall asleep, but then there may be the second part of the night where you don't get into the deep sleep. All of that results in lack of restorative sleep. When you look at alcohol use, this may be a coping strategy, albeit not a very healthy coping strategy to help deal with untreated ADHD, untreated depression or anxiety. It may be to deal with untreated restless leg syndrome. I hope that this series looking at your sleep has been insightful. I hope that you have a chance to use the information you have to implement that in healthy, effective habits as best you can. And if you have underlying medical problems, I hope you can seek a medical provider to help you with those. Again, thank you for listening to the podcast. Please leave a like or follow button. Share this with others. Really would be helpful to get this information out for all of those who are struggling with fibromyalgia. 
If you're interested, the Conquering Your Fibromyalgia book is available both in print on Amazon as well as in in an audiobook format. If you have any questions about what was discussed on the show, please email me at drmichaellens at gmail.com. If you have any topics that you'd like to be discussed on future episodes, please let me know. And if you have any positive feedback of how this podcast has been helpful for you, we'd love to hear that either through a email to me by a written feedback or if you'd like to share an audio file so that your voice can be heard. Hearing stories from other people has inspired me to want to continue this podcast, so please feel free to do that. Until next week, go Team Fibro.